Bunsen, Dolly, Internal, Why do we need Patrick, Oscar, Isaac, Transplanting. Oh, Steve, how are you doing? <laughs> it's been a while, hasn't it, since we've had a chat? Oh, it's been a while since we've done it on Zoom. Oh, Zoom. Yeah, it is a while since we've done it on Zoom. We did it in person last time, didn't we? We did, yeah. yeah. Um, and been... now everything's being lifted. We're, it's all we're... go. It's Freedom Day again. Again. It's Freedom Day. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be in front of about 200 medical students in a week. Are you now? It's like nothing ever happened. Are you doing some lecturing? A little bit of lecturing, yes. We're not, yeah, we're not allowed at Cambridge. Stuff. They won't let us in front of the students. They're, um... Yeah, no, we're all we're all gung ho at Southampton. It's mm. the same as usual. Well, we I'm like to take things module, a little bit slower in Cambridge. Books, and it's fifty people in that room, and um, there's fifty-four capacity. Right. <laughs> so there's only four spare seats in that room if everyone comes. It's all right. Your lectures aren't that interesting. There's no way they're all going to come, Nick. Probably not, no, you're right, yeah. Maybe I'll get 50%. <laughs> I think they're mad for it, though, the students. They're pretty mad for it, because yeah. they've been sick of being... Well, wouldn't you be if you'd been, like, holed up for, like, two years? I'd be but pretty be, annoyed on like spending all this money to, and like, not getting any... Theater, wouldn't it be great? <laughs> yeah, I'd be pretty annoyed on spending all this money and not getting anything for it. Not getting your, kind of, dulcet tones like, speaking to me, Nick. That's what they're really no, for. No, Give the no. People anyway, this is a... Anyway, listeners, this is a new series we're going to do now. So it's a uh, short, short podcast. So I think we're going to try and get one out a week. Yeah. And um, yeah, Steve and I are just going to have chit chats about our lives and about science and interesting stuff we've seen. So I hope you enjoy the ride. So should we uh, should we crack on, Steve? Do you know what? Let's do it. It has. I've actually, I've got, I've got the man coming around to fix the boiler today, which makes me feel like I failed as a man because I haven't had time to take the boiler to bits. You know, <laughs> I, you know, what I'm like. I like to fix stuff, and I've, I had to admit defeat because I've been too busy. So the man's coming around to fix the boiler. Don't you need a special license or uh, yeah, qualification stop, to mess around Never stopped me before doing any other things, is it? <laughs> Yeah, I don't think I'd go near the boiler to be honest. Gas main, I think I'd. I'd oh no, 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 it's just it's the wet, it's the wet bit of the boiler, not the gas bit of the boiler. Yeah, but I'd probably mistake the wet bit for the gas <laughs> bit. <laughs> I wouldn't know which was which. Well, yeah, that that Plus I can understand. Yeah, I mean, our boiler gets serious once a year. This is a fascinating conversation about boilers, isn't it? Wonderful. But yeah, um, yeah, I'd never think about doing that. Yeah, it's making very this buzzing few that buzzing sound. I think it's the pump, but I'm not sure. Well, if you still got hot water. Yes. Well, you're fine then. Just no, leave it to the breaks. That's what most people do. <laughs> yeah, but then, but then I can't like concentrate on my Zoom calls because I've got this annoying buzzing sound coming from the kitchen. Oh no. Oh well, I'm grateful for having a shower at the moment. I'm still doing 
We've been going mountain biking all over the the cold period when it's beautiful, crisp, starry nights out nice. on the mountain bike, up over on the downs, you got all your, the chalk you got your, downs. Your cold, cold weather gear. Yeah, I've got cold weather gear. Do you know, do you know, do you know what annoys me, Nick? Is that they're like when you buy the stupid like cycling shoes because I've got the stupid cycling shoes um, and. They've got they've got a hole in the bottom to like keep you cool in the summer, and then in the winter they're freezing cold because you've got like you know fifteen mile an hour wind flowing through your feet that are like two degrees, and then they sell you these little booties that go over the top, and I'm like no 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 why why are you doing this to, to, to solve a problem that shoes don't have? Most shoes don't have holes in the bottom. Just make them without holes. Well, the but. thing is, Steve, most people who ride bikes would get a separate pair of shoes for the winter, which are nice and toasty warm, like me. <laughs> No. So I've got no. like a nice pair of boots which come all the way up over my ankles, which are totally enclosed and waterproof and lovely. No, they're anyway, for the they're not. They're not. <laughs> they're not that warm. So do you know what I've started doing? Um, you got a little little hand warmer down there. Pop it down. Little there. little footy pads, <laughs> and they come in little packets, and you stick them on your toes. And I tell you what, it's like a revelation. It's lovely. It's beautiful. It's so nice. Wait, wait, wait. So what is it? It's like a little, like some, like cotton wool. Is actually, is it just insulation or is it actually heating? That's what I want to talk to you about. Ah. They're interesting. So, so, and I I was reminded of it doing something else. But anyway, I'll come to that in a minute. But these heat pads, you basically get them in a little plastic sachet, and you open Mm. the sachet, and then they start to work. Magic. You just mm. open them and they start to work. And then you peel off the backer, and then you then you peel off the backer, and then you stick them on your feet. But they must be relatively cheap, right? Because otherwise you wouldn't buy them. About a quid a go. Okay, fine. I'll I'll pay a pound to have warm feet for a night. (laughs) They last last a whole night? They last about six to eight hours, yeah. I mean, the other night, for instance, I came back and I thought, oh, I'll just have a cup of tea and sit around for a bit. And I thought, fuck, my my feet are really hot. Like, painful hot. And then I realised I still had them stuck to my socks. So I took to take them off. But you know how they work? It's crazy. They basically, they rust. Uh, they just rust. It's rusting. Basically, they're filled with iron, little iron filings. Right? Yeah. And a bit of carbon as well, a bit of activated charcoal, which basically holds a little bit of water in it. And basically what happens is the iron just reacts with the oxygen. It's a bit more complicated <coughs> than that. Which is an exothermic reaction, gives off heat. And gradually over time, they just are warm. And it goes on for ages, must, so you're getting con- rusty. It must be controlled, because, like, you know, that, that reaction, I mean, would probably be faster than not. So are they, are they held apart in some matrix? That, that's or a really good point, Steve. You're on it. The, so the activated charcoal, and there's something else inside them, which is... There must um, be an oxidizer. Vermi- vermiculite. No, it's not an oxidizer. It's just a spacer. So it keeps no, them the, apart. No, no. Vermiculite's the stuff you pack chemicals in. To, to stop the, yeah, yeah, it like, stops yeah, it getting. Well, that's what you're talking about. It stops yeah. it getting too hot too quickly, so it keeps things a bit too separated. Mm. But the oxygen, the oxygen comes in, and but it's the just salt oxygen from the air. Oxygen from the air, yeah, ah, comes okay. in, and that's that works to oxidize the iron gradually over time. And the water's there because, I mean, I don't want to go into GCSE chemistry with rusting, but basically, the it, there's a there's an intermediate reaction tell, when you form tell, iron hydroxide Tell me about first. rusting. <laughs> don't want to (laughs) it's enough to know basically what happens is you get a little bit of water next to some iron yeah and then basically the oxygen goes into the water and then there's a special reaction where iron hydroxide is formed which then dehydrates to form iron 
Fe2O3.2H2O, which is basically rust. Hydrate so rust, that reaction, yeah, yeah it's, it's a stepwise reaction. Actually, the salt helps it because it provides this sort of ionic environment in the water to allow the ions to move more freely, basically. So, um, so it's like yeah, go back so to school like and do chemistry. About rust. <laughs> Thanks it's for like that. A, yeah, it's like that. a pa- it's like it's like a grainy powder. It sort of feels like a fine powder in a in a little bag. Fine. But I don't understand. How does that stick to your feet? Is it like it's got a sticky back thing on the back? Stick it on. So, oh, like so, a, so it looks like a sole, like an in, like yeah. an insert, right? But it's yeah, just, a little bit ah, of the sole, right, the bit okay, the top okay, bit. Yeah. I was imagining like a gel that your foot squished into, but yeah, no, okay. No, 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 no. It's like basically, if you imagine a sanitary pad. Yeah. And in fact, my wife was saying, "Why are you? Where are these things? Where are these sanitary pads coming from? Because I keep leaving them on the floor and stuff because you chuck them away. And when you come in late at night, you're covered in mud. You just yeah. wang them on the floor. Basically, yeah, exactly. that's what I do." Anyway, that's how they work. But anyway, that's only half of my story. So they're really good, and I recommend them if you go cycling. They're probably not that environmentally friendly, right? They're probably not that good for the environment. So there are other ones, which I'm sure you've seen as well, that we actually use in the lab, which are these thermal heat packs with, packs with a liquid in it. Have you seen these ones? No, not in the lab, but I've seen those, those kind of things before. Do you remember how you sort of work them? Normally you have like two vials or something and you crack something and then you mix it and then they warm up. But they normally get much hotter than you're heating up your feet, I'd imagine, don't yeah, they? Yeah, they, they use crazy. them in like, you know, those kind of, when, you're, when, you're, when you've been out on, you know, on, uh, on, when you're a sniper, Nick, out in the, you know, Goose Green, as I'm sure you have been. Like you, you want to you want to have like a hot meal, so the the military has these a way to kind of heating up your curry or something, don't they? By by doing by well, that, pouring it. That is, you know what the first and I I was going to come to this later on, but the fur you brought me to it more quickly. Yeah. The first ever pattern on them was as a heat warmer, so it was right. like a flask, and it was patented in 1895. That's right? cool. 1895, and they patented it, and all of them work on super cooled liquids. Right, okay. so you'll know about supercooling, Steve, because you're a chemist. But I'll explain it to it. Basically, if you take water, for instance, that's very pure, and you put it in the freezer and you leave it undisturbed, it can remain as water and not turn to ice. Right, and water's got the ability to be supercooled in that way, down to about minus fifty. Has to yeah, be very, see, very. Pure. You see it quite often in, in YouTube videos and things, don't you? Where people basically pour liquid water out of like a Coke bottle or something. And then it's water, but then it starts to form a kind of slush puppy as it comes out, it freezes. Yeah, and actually, interestingly, Coke had a, for a while, they had a a machine where you could have slushy Coke. And basically the machine would provide you with Coke, which instantly turned to slush when you opened Mm. the bottle. That's quite cool. As a kid, I would have loved that. I would have absolutely loved that. You can do this sort of thing in the lab, but anyway, I'll go. I'll come back to that in a minute yeah. and talk a little bit. So more go, about go to it. the okay. lab. Sorry, I've jumped you ahead. So, so super, super cooling is the ability to cool liquid down to a temperature below where it freezes. And as any chemist might know, when you freeze something and you put a thermometer in it, like water, the temperature will go down. You know, if you just put it in a a, a very very cold room, minus thirty freezer or something, the water will cool down in a sort of linear way until it gets to zero, mm. and then while the ice Uh, is formed it stays the same temperature so it stays at naught degrees until crystallization has occurred then it starts to go down again and that's called latent heat basically so you've probably heard of that that concept latent heat of latent heat effusion it's called you can do it when you're an undergrad chemist and you do recrystallizations right you'll do the same similar kind of phenomena whereby you'll 
have some super saturated solution in that case. So you've got some, something that wants to form a crystal, but 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 it's a, rather than temperature, you do it with concentration, right? So you put you measure putting salt and salt and salt in water. But it's not quite that. And at some point, there's more salt in there than there likes to be. It wants to crash out a solution and form a, a crystal. So what you do is you have these solutions that look just like a clear solution and I remember showing it, it was like magic as an undergraduate, right? So what happens is that as you come in and you show, you, you know, your, 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 your solution isn't recrystallizing and you go to your lab demonstrator and you say, dear professor, whoever, um, <clears throat> help me because I can't do it. And they I shall show you, child. And they, 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 what you do is they'll pick up like a, you know, like a little metal spatula, slide it into the, into the uh, round bottom flask, whatever you're doing your recrystallization from and you just scratch the edge of the glass like just really slowly and what that does is it provides these nucleation sites which is exactly the the, the source of the uh, 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 you know the same reason for the, the reason that supercooled liquid forms solid but at, literally as you scratch it what you'll see is the whole thing starts to crystallize right in front of your eyes right from the scratch and the whole thing falls out of solution directly from that it's absolutely magical and it's exactly the same idea but yeah which is quite similar it's not entirely similar and i'll come to that again a bit later on but with these heat packs, so basically you have this latent heat of fusion. Yeah. So you have to you have to remove quite a lot of energy to make it drop from zero degrees. If you supercool it, you've, you've you've sort of missed out that step. You've somehow tricked the solution into not having to absorb that to to release that energy mm. when it when it cools down, right? So what you can do is with these supercooled water, with that slush puppy, if it's at like let's say minus eighteen in your freezer, and you turn it back into slush the temperature will rapidly increase and it will go back to zero because as the bonds form, the intermolecular bonds in the water form, energy is released. It's kind of exothermic. So basically you end up with something warming back up again. It's exactly the same principle in those heat packs, except there you've got something called sodium acetate. So it's a solution of sodium acetate, which just so happens to be really amenable to supercooling. It supercools really, really, really well. So sodium acetate has a, uh, a, a, a melting point or a freezing point of about 56 degrees, right? So if you've got one of those packs at room temperature, when you agitate it, well, when you snap this thing inside it, you've got that little metal disc and you snap it back and forth, it starts to form crystals and it rapidly rises to 56 degrees again. Uh, so, and that's how you get a heat pack. And the cool thing about those things is, which is different from your Tootsie oh, wait, wall. Sorry, is, I don't get it. I don't get it. So that... What's what's being supercooled? The sodium acetate. Sodium acetate solution, yeah. But so when you get it out of the lab, why is that? Why is that not room temperature? It is at room temperature. So you keep them, don't you? You have your little packs of gel at room temperature. But the, the little vial of sodium acetate in there is at room temperature. I'm talking about the heat packs. Oh, you're back in the heat packs. Oh, sorry, I misunderstood. Right. No, no. So so that you have your gel heat packs. And you, you, you have them at room temperature, and it's only when you snap them that they, they start to crystallise. So they form a crystal. And that well, I get it, right? So, so if I take my water, cool it down, it's cold, right? And then when it comes back up to temperature, all of that coldness has to come back out. When it, go, when it goes back to zero, that energy has to come back out. The energy I put in to cool it down has to come back out in heat. Get well, it's that. the opposite way around, because you've taken energy out, haven't you, by cooling it down? No, 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 you put energy in to cool it down. That's what you've done. So it's got to go back up. You've got, that energy's got to come back out. Right, they, well, the, the, the energy, the water when it's at minus 20 has less energy than when it's at zero. Yeah, but, you, but the 
fridge has put energy in to, to oh the yeah i mean if you, if you if you have an object which is cooling the atmosphere down then yes you have to put energy into that but yeah. that, the energy hasn't gone into the you've actually removed energy from your your sodium yeah, acid yeah, yeah. so that but that that heat's got a that that energy's coming out when it warms up but if something's already at room temperature how can it be super cooled because it's got a melting point of 56 so it's super cooled at 56 so it would normally it would normally freeze at 56 under normal circumstances, but it's super cool at room temperature. Oh, I get you. Sorry, with yeah. you now. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, anyway, to so basically, what happens is when you snap that pack, it goes back to its freezing temperature or melting temperature, whichever way you want to look at it, which is 56 degrees, and that's where you get your warmth from. The cool thing about those heat packs is that when you uh, boil them, you can remelt your crystal. And then you can leave it at room temperature and it will super cool again because the solution is so good at super cooling, you can recharge them. So they're much better for the environment because you can keep on freezing and cooling them. Isn't that wicked? Well, I mean, yes and no, right? Because you've got to put energy in to boil it. You yeah, could, you do. I, but you, you could, you, so therefore you could reduce your iron back to, you could reduce your iron back to, you know, in your pan so you could do put the same amount of energy in. So you mean how hard would it be to how hard would it be to do that rather than just boil it up? It's quite easy to boil. Well, it yeah, but that's not what you're arguing for the environment. You're arguing for ease of use of reuse. <clears throat> that's a different yeah, thing. Yeah, you don't but... you don't have to throw them away. I mean, I was, I'm mm. just saying that yeah. they're they're not disposable. They're yeah, I, so I'm that's thinking about I'm it from a thermodynamic point of view, not a kind of application point of view. <laughs> You'd have to look it up the specific heat capacity. Anyway, no one knew. No one really knew how that process happened. Like when you snap that little disc, why do crystals form, right? So, mm. why do you think crystals form when you snap the disc? Uh, what's the disc made of? It can be made of lots of things. It's usually made of some kind of metal. Yeah, I mean, I would presume it's you're, form, you're forming a nucleation point. Would be my guess. That's what most people thought, and there's loads of patterns. So, because there's lots of different shapes and sizes of the snap things. Yeah. There was a paper written by a chap called, um, what's he called, Björn Sandnes, who's now at Swansea sounds, University. Sounds extremely Swedish. Norwegian. Oh, close. Anyway, he went, he went back and he looked through patents, because there's loads of them, and there are loads, he says there's almost as many proposed mechanisms as there are inventors. So people say <laughs> it's because nucleation by friction, tearing at the end of slits, exposing fresh metal, local compression, small particles broken off, causing nucleation centres and oscillation waves created by friction as the disc is snapped. He found out it's none of those things, right? Right. So what basically what he found... He basically found out that what happens is when you have a piece of metal which has got small imperfections and things in it, when you heat the packs up again to remelt them, some of that material is not melted because it's in a high-pressure environment in one of those cracks in the metal, constrained metal. So in short, what's going on is you're just retaining crystals that when you snap the little metal thing, they pop out, and they're the nucleation sites. So it's actually unmelted stuff. So he was able to show this was true because he did um, he deactivated the triggers. So he deactivated, I think, by, by heating them. Oh, they were... F so he deactivated them by taking those triggers, and when they were really hot, he'd flex them in like the 90 degree sodium acetate. So you're kind of flexing them to get out all of the crystals. So all yeah. of the crystals melt. And then when he did that with the triggers, when he tried to reactivate them, they didn't work. So basically he proved that it's because of these nucleation sites which are released from the... 
Yeah, but sorry, so you're saying there's little crystals stuck in the metal. Yeah, basically. But then, and that's how they work. But so that's not the control, though, isn't it? The control you'd want to do then is to take m new metal that hasn't been like heated up with the sodium acetate. You could do then, that, couldn't you? Yeah. Yeah, that would be my control. Yeah, you could. You could do that. Yeah. Oh, anyway, cool. I thought that was pretty interesting, and I th when when I was working with them, I just thought this is like magic. I couldn't. I just can't believe it. You've got this heat pad, and it's just liquid. You click a thing, and suddenly it gets really hot. And then you can just melt it and then it comes back again and you can use it as many times as you want until you break the bag or whatever. Steve. How you doing? Oh, not too bad, not too bad. Yeah, looking forward to the world returning. We've been basically say, having the same conversation for two years now. The yeah, well, you know, it, things are pretty normal. I'm going to watch various rugby and football matches over the next few weeks. So oh, that's exciting. I am... Um, yeah, I, big I, crowds of people. I had, some, um, I had some investors come around the lab yesterday, Nick. Did you? Yeah, they've, like, they... And so I had to, like had to go into the lab for a couple of days and like help prepare stuff to make sure everything was working you know because you know they're coming in we want to make sure with the experiment that we that they we want to demonstrate works and doesn't fail you know so i had to go in and just make sure everything's working so i got to go back in the lab i've been in the lab makes me so happy being in the lab been like, was deborah was deborah mead in there i did feel a little bit like that if i'm honest and that other dude what's he called um <laughs> uh, i forgot track of who's on dragon Day. the the is he still on it? And I don't know. there was that Paul bloke, uh, sort of yeah, cheeky, cheeky, chappy face one, fat cheeked man. Oh, yeah, fat cheeked man. Peter Jones, that's his name. Peter Jones, yeah. And then they all like, always have a few like stragglers who come and go, don't they? <laughs> yeah, it's a bit like that. <laughs> it's kind of like the Grateful Dead. <laughs> well, there's there's a couple of core in the lineup, a and then everything. A couple of core members, and then a load yeah. of stragglers. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, anyway, did they did they give you any money, Steve? Uh, do you know what? I've got no idea, but I doubt it. But you know, we did our best. Um, yeah, a lot of the lab helped me out, like getting stuff ready. So there's a big, uh, big uh, thank you to, the, to everyone that helped. Um, anyway, I didn't want to talk to you about that. What I wanted to talk to you today was about a a a, um, um, a physician. I'm going to start off with a discussion about a guy called William Osler. You, have you ever heard of William S. Osler? He sounds like the chap who would shoe a horse. Because I know that the word ostler means a man who shoes a horse. Um, he's not. <laughs> he's not, I'm afraid. Um, uh, he, he I was think that's a, what an ostler is. Maybe it's a man who stables a horse or a woman. Or a woman. <laughs> it, or herself. Stan? <laughs> Symbolic of our struggle against the Romans. Anyway. anyway um, let's not start that. Yeah, uh, right. So William Osler was a he was a um, uh, he was a doctor. He was a physician, um, a fellow of the Royal Society. Um, if, uh, you know, if, uh, uh, also a fellow of the Royal Society of Medicine. Uh, he was a knight of the realm. Uh, so, you know, so part of the establishment. He was um, he, he's kind of kind of credited um, 
he was born in Canada, but um, he um, he's kind of credited as being one of the um, you know fathers of modern medicine, right? So he was described as the great one of the greatest diagnosticians ever to wield a stethoscope, that kind of person, right? Right. And so he um, he's kind of one of the things he's often founded is the idea of personalised medicine. Um, so he he was really oh, big proponent of that. Oh, sorry if I yawn, Steve. I keep hearing that all over the place, and it's just it's what's per, funny. It's what's personalised medicine, Nick? It's very very expensive, and people get a lot of grant funding to do it. <laughs> yeah, that's basically what it is. Yeah, I mean, yeah, maybe, maybe beyond that, got... I don't really know. I don't. It's like I I can't quite work out how it's practical. Well, I mean, the idea is quite simple: is that like you know that. So, so there's a famous quote from William Osler, which is why I bring him up, and he says it's much more important to understand what disease, a, sorry, to understand what person has a disease than what disease a person has, and that's his kind that's of like profound man, isn't it? Right? He's just yeah. He's probably now I feel like I can go away and become a doctor with that with that pithy maxim <laughs> in my head. I don't need yeah. any other. Well, if science isn't about pithy maxims. <laughs> Um, oh, well, I know there's a, there, it's a truism, isn't it? It's like one of those things where you know it's it's kind of common sense at the end of the day, isn't it? Yeah, but, you know, there's actually quite good, um, you know, uh, there's quite a lot of evidence about you know p- different uh, people. You know, for instance, in uh, there's a d- different uh, risk profile of certain diseases uh, based upon your race, for instance, right? Uh, you know, there's um, and there's kind of reasons for that, but um, you know, there's quite, there's quite a lot. Of work. A good example of which would be um, there is a gene called Duffy. The typical Duffy uh, uh, positive, which is, which is a gene that a lot of um, people of African descent have, that um, are uh, that which make them um, resistant to malaria. And you know, <clears throat> there's an obvious reason. So, so there are kind of genetic. Sometimes they're genetic. Yeah, sometimes they're so environmental. Much, it's not so much race specific, but it's region specific. I would probably say. Well, there's, there's both. So, so there's both. So there's ones that they can trace back. For, you know, for, it becomes a bit um, muddied. Um, but, but there are, you know, there are a couple of examples of how different, you know, medicines can work to different greater extents on different people. And the idea in the future is that you go to your doctor, he like, like you get, take a blood test, and they go, aha, this, uh, you know, this, um, you have a specific, uh, you know, genetic. Uh, we can give you drugs that are suited especially for you that have reduced the 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 um, the, idea, the um, side effects because we understand about your. Um, uh, your your kind of genetic and in, indeed epigenetic map, map that's the idea right so we, we you you would get a different diagnosis you would get the we get the same diagnosis but we'd be given different drugs because we can tell how, how our bodies are different right yeah none of it really have any has any proven um kind of underpinning really at the moment does it i mean it's early days to say something <clears throat> controversial yeah yeah I mean, yeah i think know it's early not to days. give a particular you know not to give someone a particular drug if they're at risk of heart disease, right? So yeah, but some but, drugs are contraindicated in some people, which is kind of the same thing, but less detailed, right? Yes, you know just, something about someone's health or risks, and then you will avoid giving them a particular medication. Exactly, and, and so that, that you could argue is that is that that's exactly right. You know, a good example yeah. would be something like warfarin. So there's about one in a hundred people have a genetic mutation that means that warfarin, which is a blood thinner. 
uh, that doesn't work basically it, it metabolizes in their body about 25 times slower than it would do in, in in the average person so so therefore they have to if they know that they know that okay we shouldn't we should give you a different blood thinner if you need to thin I was thinking blood. of something more general like that you wouldn't give warfarin to someone who is at risk of like hemorrhagic strokes or something like that absolutely but I'm saying that there's a snip that encodes for the metabolism of warfarin warfarin right so we know that right so so you know and there's diseases associated with that as well um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm somewhat. I mean, the, 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 I, I'm, I'm, from what I know, I'm, I'm somewhat sceptical of that field because I'm not sure that anything is actually implemented clinically based on SNPs. Well, yeah, but this would go around. Um, yeah. so, so, so it just wouldn't work, basically. You know, so then they'd prescribe you something different. You know, it's not that it, it would work. Yeah, yeah, putatively. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, <clears throat> so you know, actually, what I wanted to talk to you about was. Um, to, like, to move this on a little bit was not act was was about a we're talking about you know disease and race and the, and uh, there's a there was a famous uh, disease I came up called syndrome K. Have you ever heard of syndrome K? Oh, it's great. I have it with uh, blueberries <laughs> and a splash of milk at the weekend. Yeah, it's delicious. Yum 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 yum. Yeah. No, so, sorry, that I'm, a syndrome K sounds doesn't sound pleasant, so maybe I shouldn't. Pretend it's special K. Is it mild? Please tell me it's mild. It, do you know what it is? Very it is not mild at all. Oh right, okay. right. Um, so uh, let me just find the name of this um, person. Sorry, one second. Uh, I'll have to edit this. Sorry, sorry, sorry. You can edit this. Yeah. Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Okay. Okay, so so syndrome K. There's a there was a Italian physician called uh, Adriano Orsini, um, who was oh, yeah. uh, he so he was working in Italy during the Second World War. Um, he worked at a quite a famous hospital um, uh, called uh, which was you know where he diagnosed this this um, syndrome K, which he which, which he describes as a deadly disfiguring disease that affects predominantly Jewish people. And this was in uh, kind of the autumn of 1943, so just after Nazi occupation of Italy. And so, you know, the Nazis are walking in. There's this famous uh, um, um, hospital uh, in Rome called the uh, Fatti Benelli Fratelli Hospital, which is a, right just off the... The Fatti Benelli Fratelli? Is this like a joke Italian name? <laughs> it does sound a little bit something like something on a lower low, doesn't it? Um, uh, I've probably pre- uh, murdered the pronunciation of that. Um, anyway, so so the um, uh, it's a really old hospital, hundreds of years old hospital, right on um, a tiny island in the middle of the Tiber um, uh, right. in in, in um, Rome, and one of the things they were doing there was diagnosing and um, uh, and essentially um, uh, you know, removing uh, people to be isolated, to be quarantined of this disease, the syndrome K, which you know very deadly, lots of coughing. Uh, kind of similar things to tuberculosis and cancer is how they're described at the time. Anyway, infectious um, disease. Well, yeah, exactly. And so they, you know, so so what they did is they they they, they quarantined a lot of these uh, a lot of Jewish people. Um, the Nazis came round to see them, like obviously, like you know, to see the hospital. They were like didn't want to go. They were like, oh, they're really ill. Must stay away from them. Turns out, Nick, all a big lie. Doesn't exist at all. It's, it was all case made up. 
Yeah, so... Oh, so uh, I Adri- joke about the special case okay then. Exactly. So Adriano yeah. Ossini was essentially just trying to save people from the Nazis. And he invented oh, this... In- so he's like a kind of uh, um, more inventive Schindler. Exactly. Well, he was a doctor, so he did what he knew, right? And so, yeah, oh, completely... quite risky, man. Yeah, so what there were... To- some na- what if some Nazi doctor had come in and gone... Well, well, where's your evidence? Show me the culture. Then he would have been in big trouble. He would have done, but he would have saved some people prior to then, you know. Um, Yeah, so so there's... um, Yeah, so the Nazis apparently thought it was cancer or tuberculosis and they fled like rabbits, he said. That that was was a, 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 um, a, a quote from him. And there's a great... Let me just look up. There's this great quote that he said. He said... Um, the lessons of my experience were that we have not to act for the sake of self-interest, but for principles. And oh, what a what a man! Isn't well, he well cool? Done. Do you know what? Do you know what happened to him afterwards? Did he live a long and healthy fruit? Do you know what? I don't, I haven't looked that up. Um, but no, I think you, there, there, this is a subject of a, of a. There's been a, a couple of um, uh, documentaries. I think one on the BBC about ten years ago. Uh, I've just googled him, and he he was ninety. He got to the age of ninety six at least. Well, he so did all right then. Pretty positive. Yeah. yeah. Good man. What a, what a story. That's amazing. So you we know, should, so so, so, so you were right to be sceptical of uh, of disease associated <laughs> with races right at the start. So if you were a Nazi, Nick, you would have seen directly through this wall of lies, and you and you would have saw, you would have he wouldn't have had the success he had. So I'm glad you're not a Nazi, Nick. Yeah, the Nazis are generally more stupid and evil than me, though, aren't they, Steve? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Well. Oh, here you go, Steve. That was the. Um, uh, that was that was fun, wasn't it? I it's always good when we have uh, the Nazis on the podcast. I find it's always you always bring them to the. I podcast, do love them. They're great baddies. Just look at Indiana Jones. They're the best baddies. They are. They are. Anyway. Um, yeah, that was great. So we hope to be doing this every week. So we'll put yeah. one of that hopefully on a, at the end of the week, ready for the weekend. If you're exactly. interested in having a little listen, find out what we've been up to, then please do um, log on. You can find us. Where can you find us, Steve? You can find us online, Nick, on the interwebs, on the Twitters. Mm-hmm. You so can I'm... find us at the link that you've used to view this, which is generally <laughs> SoundCloud. And you can find Steve um, at, at Steve the Chemist. You can. And you can find Nick at the Evans Lab. Yes, just waving Steve on, trying to remind him that I also exist. And uh, also, Uh, um, uh, just directly, at the Science Shed. At the Science Shed, yeah. So please join us. Come along next time. It'd be great to to see you and hear from you. Take you along on our scientific journey. We will, won't we, Steve? See you later. (laughs) Bye. Why do we need? Petri! Oscar! Isaac! Newton! Transplanting!